I think the hardest thing we're faced with in life is learning to care about ourselves, to love who we are. I mean, I find it especially hard because more often than not, I don't like myself that much. From birth throughout all of our formative years, most of us have been assaulted with varying degrees of criticism, which to my way of thinking is abuse. We've been raised by being told again and again that what we're doing is wrong, hurtful, or selfish, that what we have said is mean or nasty. The counterbalance of praise and love is often not enough to outweigh the acquired view that you're not very likable. Uh, loving oneself, I think, is a big obstacle to discovering our true worth. How do we get past that, Alexandra? It's not the kind of thing that you just get past, you know what I mean? It's not like graduating first grade onto second. And I think a lot of it depends on what we were programmed with when we were really, really young. Um, it brings up this moment. My husband was in a tr insight training. Um, when you have the microphone and you're filling your guts about your self-loathing and all this. And, and the facilitator went on, you know, and told his story of self-loathing. And Jonathan, being Jewish, said, well, at least you're forgiven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jewish guilt is... It's a, a whole other level. It's a whole other level of guilt. Yeah, it really is. Parents put messages in us, you know, and, and then we, in our need to be loved and cared for, tries to become that which the, our parents expect of us. And if it's unreasonable, it sets up a really horrible cascade of experiences. I, I mean, I'm, I still cope with that. I, I look back on the, the, the trauma of my childhood and realize, as an adult, that what was asked of me was unreasonable and that I continue in my daily life as an adult today and an, an aging adult, I ask too much of myself still. I still ask, I expect more of me than I'm capable of. And that. So how do I get past that? Um, for me, part of my self-care is the art that I'm doing with you at this point in my life, giving myself permission to excavate that at a whole new level. I think our hundreds of listeners can always use more ways to remember all the good stuff as a counterbalance to whatever they had to overcome to care more for themselves. And that's why we offer them, we offer you, memories in the key of life. Kuda Patawita. We're here to reflect, dissect, inspect, and give respect to all of the moments of joy, frustration, and humor we confront every day. And we do it with one of our songs, and if you're lucky, a bit of poetry. I'm David. And I'm Alexandra. And our featured song on this podcast is Love is Lala. There are Dozens of definitions for what love is, but love is la-la. 
one would get the impression you're referring to a certain West Coast community of empty-headed celebrities, but instead, this is about the sweet ingredients you can find in life. Just how did you cook this one up? Well, this has a, a, a personal story, and yes, um, Lala was a hippie, as was I in my early days. Oh, I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> yeah, she was what my sister used to call granolas. <laughs> granolas, okay. Yeah, yeah you know, the, the, the mommy type. Lala and her husband ran a, um, a knishes business. They had these brown rice knishes that they made. And I worked in her knish factory. <laughs> that's that, that's something that not very many people can say. I worked in her knish factory. <laughs> <laughs> and um, God, she was like, she's such a mama. And we need we need mamas. Like I that. need a mama. So <laughs> I feel loved by Lala, and to this day, I don't see much of her. But all it takes is looking in Lala's eyes and smiling. And I remember that I have that place in me, too, that place that loves and smiles and nurtures, and um, no matter what. And that, and that was really cool as I, as I re, um, redid this uh, production. It was, I, I, and I've been in a miserable place in my life, but while I was uh, producing Love is Lala, I was in my happy place. Well, let me tell you that I don't know how you've done it, but this song is just a delightful recipe that lets me know it's okay to care for myself, that life really can be a buffet, whereas your lyrics say you can find the food that fills your belly, that warms your heart, that heals your soul. Do you 
production, the style of your voice, the, the manner in which you put this together puts me in a nightclub or puts me somewhere. I love the way it was handled. What gave you the, the impetus to do it that way? I think as I was producing it, I was drooling for the things that I miss. <laughs> okay. I One of the things I miss running a, a demanding household during COVID is I miss being served food. I haven't sat down and had a meal served to me and taken away in over a half a year. So we're talking restaurant here. We're yeah, talking yeah. a lovely sort of dining experience with a crowd of wonderful people next to us. I can hear them in the background. Yeah, and that was kind of fun. I kept playing it back and trying to figure out something was missing. You know, how was I going to communicate what I was really trying to say here? I went more to video production thinking, like, what, what's the story in this? I needed something to fill the information for the listener. And it, it was very cinematic. The entire mix took me by surprise, and you're right. It was visual. It was... Visceral. Visceral. I think that's the way to put it, very much so. Yeah. You've established a renewed sense of value, and I think we're all aware of how easy it can be for us to take for granted many of the small things, like in your case, just being served a meal in, in a wonderful setting with other people. Many of the small things that cross our path, I didn't realize the value Lenny, a friend of mine, placed on things that were a big part of his life, which I thought were just ordinary, until he decided to call the FBI about it. I've been waiting for the FBI to show up, Lenny Jones said when I spotted him at the grocery. He'd lived in the same old two-story house in North Philly for over 20 years, stayed married to the same woman for over 40, and watched his kids move out of the rundown neighborhood and go to college. The FBI? What, what for? What happened, Len? I got robbed. That's why. 
Uh, how? how? How did it happen? Busted the basement window in the back while I was out fishing on the Schuylkill. Must have used a van to cart it all away. The police filled out a report, but I, I knew they wouldn't do anything. And then I remembered the article, and I decided to call the FBI. He handed me the folded newspaper clipping. A mainline home had been robbed of $500,000 in art and goods. It said the feds were called in because the stuff might be sold nationally or internationally. But Lenny, I said, it says here they got 19 paintings by a world-famous artist. Yeah, I know. I, I feel for the guy, but they got eight of my paintings. My son did them when he was 16 and started art classes. Other kids doping and hanging out and hustling, and my son cleaning oil paint from under his nails before coming into dinner. A couple of still lifes, some landscapes and portraits, got plenty of school awards for his paintings. Bastards took those too. I'm sorry to hear that, but look, seriously, they wouldn't be in demand in the international art market, would they? How do you know? He had a Korean girlfriend once. She wanted two of them, wanted to pay me for them, but I, I refused. You know, she had an eye on them, even up to the time she went back to Korea. And, and then there was that, that Polish art professor who came over one night for dinner and kept on talking about Bernie's paintings. You know, you never know, those paintings could be on their way to uh, Poland or Korea. I knew it would be useless to argue the point, so I, I turned back to the article. Also says they took a, a chandelier with etched hurricane globes. Now, only four of them in the world. What about my lamp? One of a kind. They got that too. What lamp are you talking about? You know, the, uh, the floor lamp in the corner next to the end table in the living room? I remembered. Lenny had brought it home after one of his many thrift shop junking trips. From a massive fake marble base, three brass pipes arched in different directions, sprouting six different colored light globes, leaves made out of what looked like recycled Coke bottle glass were clustered at the base of each globe. I suspected a store owner assembled the horror from leftovers and scrap to clean out his back room. It had become, like so many other things Lenny brought home, a favorite target for um, affectionate kidding by his wife and the kids. I know that was worth some money. He persisted. Guy I bought it from said it was an original design. Nobody ever saw anything like it. This guy also lost eight Empire dining room chairs. That's nothing. They got my whole dining room set. Had it for 35 years. Beautiful veneer, breakfasts, lunches, dinners, homework, family crises, weddings, tax work. Our whole life was served up every day on that table. The article says they also took a, a priceless armchair, I ventured, but Lenny cut me off. Well, what about the oak baby high chair I raised my daughter in? They got that. Took me weeks of stripping it down to some real pretty wood. Esther fell in love with it then. His wife spent a weekend sanding and staining it her first proud attempt at amateur refinishing. When I came over for dinner one night, Lenny showed me the chair and playfully hugged Esther, teasing her about all the old furniture in the basement she could work on. She died of cancer a year later. 
it says here that they also got some jewelry from this guy on the main line. And what about the watch they got from me? A watch? I ventured timidly. The one the kids gave me on Father's Day. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, 14 karat gold band. A, a Gruen, I think. I remembered the surprise party the kids had thrown him. On the back of the watch, they had inscribed, To the father we love to pick on. And what about Esther's charm bracelet? Got that too. It had some really special charms on that. Hard to find some of them nowadays. His mind seemed to wander into the past for a moment, and he, he paused before rushing on. Plus, you know, the TV, the old Zenith, one of the first, still running good, black and white, but, you know, we never seemed to mind. And, and that hallway mirror where the kids would pose like peacocks combing their hair or putting on makeup before a date, yeah, they got that too. Remember that big centerpiece bowl Esther had used for Christmas punches and her, and her famous potato salad? Gone. So, Lenny, what did you tell the FBI? I told them the truth. The indignation had changed to just a hint of a sly smile. Priceless treasures of art, jewelry, and furniture were stolen from my home, and that if they didn't jump on the case, they might have to search in uh, Korea, Poland, or God knows where to find them. So what did they say, Len? Said they'd send an agent out to talk to me about it. What else? With that, he took back his article and walked out of the store. Somewhere in the midst of a busy schedule of infiltrating terror organizations, turning mob informants, installing wiretaps, and challenging drug cartels, an FBI agent might be assigned to visit Lenny. Maybe, just maybe, if he was real sharp, he might learn something about the difference between value and values. We started today's episode by discussing the self, about caring for one's self, and sometimes confronting our inner self. It's not an easy thing. You seem to have done so and are brave enough to rap about it in next episode's featured song you've titled Zen Mom. Are we talking spiritual kung fu here? <laughs> Give us a little taste. Who is Zen Mom and how did she evolve? Well, Zen Mom is like my alter ego heroine self. Okay. Zen Mom is uh, the mythical me, the, the me that in my fantasies I want, want to be. It would be Zen Mom. If I could live my perfect life and, and, and make the right decisions all the time and save the day, I would be Zen Mom. When you say Zen Mom, I, I, I sort of get the feeling that it's part of your inherent spirit as a as a warrior. I think you are in so many ways. Am I wrong? It reminds me that when I originally conceived of Zen Mom, I had a vision of myself doing a, a one-woman stand-up comedian show. And Zen Mom was this crazy, chaotic mom who had so much on her plate that when she needed a break, she had to hide in the bathroom. It's kind of a takeoff character initially. How interesting. I see you you kind of striding through all of the puffery and nonsense that keeps 
crashing into your life from time to time with uh, samurai swords that, that basically <laughs> you manage to, to get to the essence of things very quickly. Uh, but yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, that's well, the way I see you. That is more of who I am. But, but really the Zen aspect of mom is the peaceful one. When I write about to, to live a life of Zen, it's, it's a very peaceful, you know, drink tea, um, quiet, you know, when you meditate, it's all, it's not a like, warrior out there like Dennis. well i know but there are warriors and there are warriors i mean it takes a good deal of warrior strength to get yourself to surrender to that zen place that requires a certain warrior strength in, in and of itself not necessarily battling outside forces but the biggest battle is the one that you fight within yourself is it not i totally agree yes all we have in the end is us it's and we would love you to join us for our next episode when we antagonize and protagonize about lyrical meanings such as you just heard, implications, complications, explanations, justifications, and maybe an extrapolation or two that will entice you, seduce you, and set you ablaze. We will set you on fire. And if our podcast turns you on, let us know. Drop us a line at Memories in the Key of Life, all one word, lowercase at gmail.com. And if it does nothing for you, so be it. But drop us a line anyway. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> all that matters is that we love what we're doing, how we're doing it, and we're having fun. So if you are too, visit again. And don't forget, your memories are in the key of life. My name is Zen Mom. I'm a white old lady with saggy flesh, but I'm different. My graffiti is fresh. I saw my name in invisible ink. I spray soft glowing love in the color of pink. My name is Zen Mom. She's my aspiration to transform suffering into inspiration. When I'm Zen Mom, I kiss remorse, I kiss regret. When I'm Zen Mom, I forgive and forget.